Blog Talk Radio. Marty Oakley of the PPJ Gazette Online, and this is the TS Radio Network. It's December 7th, 2020, and as a country, we are in a world of doo-doo. Behind this virus that doesn't exist, we have seen everything about our lives change, and what this is getting down to is, I believe, the final move, and it involves banking, currency, money, um, what we assume is legal tender, but is actually legal money, lawful money. In other words, it isn't legal tender. It isn't put out by the federal government. It is put out by the Federal Reserve. It is a debtor's note. It says right on it, it is a Federal Reserve note. But it, we have reached a point where, as a country, we are so far in debt that uh, they keep talking about a jubilee. I didn't know what that meant. I looked it up, and in today's parlance, it means the forgiveness of all debt. Basically, what it means to me is we're so far in debt with this funny money that can never be repaid that they're going to come down on all of us and take what we've got to make good on what they owe. Uh, The history of this is long and ugly. What it's going to do to you is going to last a lifetime and be uglier. And one of the things we're going to be discussing is setting up state banks. Is this a benefit? Is it possible? Can state banks issue their own currency? Um, Someone said to me, no, they can't because uh, in the Constitution, it says only Congress can coin money. Congress has control over, and you'll notice at the beginning of the bidding of the fake virus, they shut down the U.S. Mint claiming everybody there had COVID-19. How they knew this, I don't know, because as I say, they have not identified any virus, have not, cannot. And so what these people came down with is a question. Then they came out and said there was a coin shortage. Oh, my God, there's a coin shortage. At the same time, the U.S. Treasury was reporting they had a large and looming catalog of coins sitting there. There is no coin shortage, and there isn't a woman running around in this country doesn't have one to two pounds of change rolling around in her purse. And then, of course, there's the people at home that collect pennies and this and that and something else. Everybody's got a change jar. There is no shortage of coinage. But that is the only legal tender, as far as I can discern, that the federal government is able to issue. These Federal Reserve notes are from a foreign banking system that was foisted on us and made we were made subject to, which John is going to be talking about in detail. But we're at a crossroads here as a country, as a society, 
Uh, not only have they taken most of our small businesses that are the drivers of our local economy, shut them down when they left all the big corporate businesses open, and you all stood there and went, oh. Uh, I mean, think about this, people. Your local restaurant and bar can't be open because you might spread COVID, but Walmart, with hundreds if not a 1,000 or more customers a day, can be open. Figure it out. Uh, this is just, I think, one of the worst things a government has ever done to its own people. Um, a term I heard applied to it is democide, and it's when a government kills its own population. And with this fake virus, this coming vaccine that apparently is causing massive injury and death on all the people they have tested it on, is going to be the kicker. Um, There's so many things going on here that it, it just boggles the mind, but it is all coming together. It's all coming to a head. All these new world order people, um, the people that want to reduce the population that are stealing the wealth of nations is all coming to a head. And what really angers me, and then I'm going to turn this over to John, is all around the world we see countries rising up and protesting against this by the millions. It's not reported here on the media, but you, if you can get away from Google, you'll find it reported elsewhere. And here you all sit. And as a final thing I have to say this evening, I saw a couple people on Facebook that said, if you don't believe there's a virus, then unfriend me. You can bet I did. If you are stupid enough to believe what they're selling you, that they have nothing to back up lying numerous times. They've admitted there is no virus that they can identify. If you still believe there is, you're too stupid for me to talk to. And that's just exactly the way I feel about it. So consider yourself unfriended. Anyway, John. I know you have a lot to say, so everybody, here's John Macron. He's our expert, and he's going to educate you in banking. Take it away, John. Oh, there was a saying from many, many, many years ago. Uh, let me see if I can even remember. Doggone, I wish I'd done no research before I did. Basically, in a nutshell, banking was created in hell. I don't remember how the quote goes, but that's it. Okay. In a nutshell. Folks, you've got to realize First and foremost, what has happened over the course of several hundred years, all right? This is a very slow, meticulous, thought-out process, and we're actually going to just talk about it from America's perspective with a little bit of a hint towards uh, the England, of course, uh, City of London, the banking over there, and, of course, tying it all directly back to the Vatican, which is, of course, where the hell came from to begin with. But you have to think about initially what was America. A little bit of history, folks. Remember, they told you all these things that you call states were originally something called colonies. Okay, they were chartered, and that's a key word here: charter, out of the king. 
And King sent his blood over here along with whoever was uh, chose to come along and some people that weren't necessarily volunteers but managed to get over here anyways. They were abducted off the streets um, and uh, basically press-ganged into serving the uh, crown over here. But when they came over, these colonies were using all kinds of different coins from around the world. Okay, you had English money, you had French money, you had money that was from Spain. There was a lot of Spanish money. Okay, and uh, that's where you get your two bits. What that means is uh, it was part of two parts of a piece of eight, if you will, which was the equivalent of a silver dollar. And America's silver dollar, by the way, uh, was supposed to mirror and match that, which it basically did. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. The colonies got here, and they got established, of course, and commerce was going on, and things were getting more and more interesting as the uh, Indians were busy getting massacred, and people were moving into different areas and deciding to grow. And again, this is your history, whether they want to admit it or not. But in so doing all of this, they were still there was no central, quote-unquote, American money. And if you sit there and you look back in history, we are told that, uh, you know, the Revolutionary War started because of taxation without representation. Now, don't get me wrong. That was a part of it. But remember, I've repeatedly stated all wars are bankers' wars. All wars are bankers' wars. This is no exception. Okay? And Franklin talked about that. He said we would gradually we would gladly pay a few percent in taxes. But it was more than that. It was about having our own money. Because as long as you're dependent on somebody else's money, Federal Reserve notes people, you can't function. You're not autonomous. You can be manipulated. You can be controlled. You can have your economy created and have it destroyed by the same people. And I've talked many times here on this show about the system that we're in is basically nothing more than plunder now. That's all it is. It's called vulture capitalism. The economy, people come in, go into debt, crash the economy, can't pay the debts back. Bankers come in, steal everything back, start the process all over. And we'll get into all that later. But the point of the matter is banking has its origins in hell in every sense of the word. Because, again, this thing you call interest, that which you pay for the time value of money, if you will, the ability to turn around and use money, you pay a small fee for that. Okay, That's called interest. In Muslim countries, you were not permitted to do that, okay? And by doing that, you ended up uh, having a society which, again, was now indebted. And that is something you have to take into consideration because we're going to talk about how the debt works now compared to when it did back in the day also. So we had this magical revolutionary war that everybody told us America's won, of course. And, uh, you know, I point out, yes, ladies and gentlemen, go ahead and actually read the 1783 Peace Treaty, please. Do your own due diligence. Don't listen to the guy talking to you. Who's writing the treaty? Oh, that would be the King of England. 
who normally writes the treaties of peace. Oh, the winner. What does the king of England have to say? Well, he has a lot of things to say, some of them more important than others. One of them, he is the Vatican's banker. Key point I'll bring up a little bit later. Second key point, he's now the king of France. Oh, who was our ally in the Revolutionary War? Oh, that would be France. Hmm, doesn't sound like it went so well for us. And if that's not enough to convince you folks that we lost the war rather than won it, well, then let me just point out a few other slight details that may change your mind. Uh, the uh, Remember, I like to call the Revolutionary War America's first civil war because that's truly what it was. Okay, All those redcoats that those Yankees were busy shooting at, an awful lot of them were the neighbor down the street. Okay, They didn't all come from England. Most of them didn't. Most of them were homegrown here in America. And the quote-unquote revolutionaries, those were the homegrown terrorists of the day, if you will. Now, after the peace treaty was signed, did the Americans get some autonomy? Yes, they did. But they also got, again, a few other goodies. They got to get their bases back. They got to keep their cannon. Does that sound like they actually won the war when they get told, yeah, you can still have your cannons. We'll give them back to you. Does the term armies, plural, and navies, as in plural, which was still on American soil, I might add, imply that they had tucked their tails between their legs and run off back to England? Not in a snowball's chance. People forget that England at that time was the epitome of both military power and naval power. So land and sea, they controlled it. Now, I'm just a good old-fashioned American patriot, and believe me, I wish we'd have whooped that English ass. I really do, because I don't think we'd have half the problems that we've got. But the problem is, that didn't happen. So we got this world created on a line. And we had this thing called war reparations that had to be paid back on top of giving all of our, the land that got taken by uh, force back to the people that owned it who had stayed loyal to England. Okay, So you basically had a breakdown of the society that you were living in where some members were part of one group, some members were part of another group. Gee, where have we seen this before? Civil War 2.0 and 3.0. All of it, banking profits is a factor. Colonies now have a new title called state. And as you've heard me talk about on this show, state simply means status. That's all it means. You're talking about a fictional corporation thing. It was created for profits. Newsflash, ladies and gentlemen, it never went away because these things were still chartered. They were still there for the purpose of making money. Now, there were war reparations that had to be paid. Like I said, those war reparations, they needed to be spread equally between the different colonies slash states, which by default were their own countries. And remember, they were trying to avoid what was happening in Europe. And that was a war every 10 or 20 or 30 years between France, England, Spain. You know what I'm talking about, folks. If you know your history, you know that place was a constant war zone. Again, Vatican control all over those fingerprints. Kind of sad. But anyway, so we created this brand new thing, um, and we called it the United States Corporation. 
And this United States corporation had members from each one of the states. The uh, state legislatures would uh, choose who the two senators that would be party to this corporation were. And uh, the representatives would be elected by the people in the district. And you had this theoretical division between all things. And let's just say, needless to say, it didn't work out too well for the parties it being. But what is the very first thing that always happens? Well, we've got to get some kind of a bank going on. Okay. So people don't realize it. But uh, again, this is the same time frame. The United States Mint was created in 1793, if I remember my dates correctly. Okay. Critical, important point. Because the United States Mint, that's your first commercial action to create your own coin slash currency. Okay. And they, you don't call it currency. It was actually, it had intrinsic value. Okay. So it was your money. It was real money, one eye. And uh, so here we go. And the first bank of the United States was a national bank chartered for a term of 20 years by the United States Congress on February 25th, 1791. <clears throat> it followed the Bank of North America, the nation's first de facto central bank. Okay, so we had a 20-year charter on this thing. And uh, for people that don't realize it, all of your banks are, again, chartered by whatever corporation slash government is in existence for that geographic area. That's the way it was supposed to be. That's the way it was for an awful lot of years. Um, <clears throat> after that, you had an expansion of boys, the coins. American dollars were rather popular, but there was a very minimal supplies because there wasn't a whole lot of gold and there wasn't a whole lot of silver. And remember, there was still an awful lot of coins that were foreign coins circulating during this early time frame of America. Okay. Now, you could take bullion, gold or silver, or even foreign coins to the mint, and they'd melt them down, and they'd take a small percentage. I think it was around 1% or 2% and for their fees and associations for a saying and melting and coining and all that kind of good stuff, which was real and reasonable. Okay, nothing wrong with that. And then they produce this new coin. And if you want to know about what the coins look like, just go out and find yourself a red book. And you can go through American history there, and you can see inflation even back then when they changed the size of different coins and the quality of the silver that's in them. <clears throat> you know, stealing is normal for bankers, right, and governments. So step two. Well, the charter had issues, so we turned around and we create yet another bank. This is the second bank of the United States. It was located in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, okay, called Hamilton's. And that had a charter from February 1816 to January 1836. Now, remember, bankers are notorious for something. They are very notorious for stealing. This is not a surprise. This shouldn't be a surprise to anybody listening to this show tonight. So when it's all over said and done with, we had a man come in there and say, you know what? You people are nothing but a pit of vipers, and I am going to rout you out. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Andrew Jackson, that great president from Tennessee, 
says, I am done with your BS. And he did. And the populist movement gained strength because they were trying to undermine him. Remember, these banks had, again, ties to England and everywhere else. This is the problem because where there's money involved, you've got people that are playing the game. And when people are playing the game, you've got people being pillaged. Now, meanwhile, if we go on over to England, we have an interesting situation happens in 1815 also. This is not a joke either, ladies and gentlemen. And again, I've talked about it. We had this thing called the Battle of Waterloo. There was a little general there, French, with ties to the Vatican, taken out of retirement to create a lot of irritation and aggravation to the English. And again, all wars are bankers' wars. This was no exception. And at the Battle of Waterloo, of course, it was Napoleon did get defeated. He was defeated in the battle. But there were some things going on behind the scenes. Gentleman made Rothschild was there and decided, you know what? There's some money to be made. And he knew the results of the uh, war. And uh, I think he was uh, basically told to do certain things by his <clears throat> senior management or whatever. But um, long story short, he goes into the uh, stock market there in um, England looking all disheveled and all upset and frustrated and all the things that, you know, oh, my word, this guy is falling, this guy is falling. And in so doing, you know, started selling everything he had. Well, of course, that's instantaneous. Look at what's going on over there. Ah! So everybody goes into a massive selling spree. The assumption is he knows that England has just lost the Battle of Waterloo. Therefore, they are about to get their butts owned. And in so doing, everybody started shorting everything. In other words, getting rid of whatever they had with special emphasis on government bonds. Gee, we'll talk about government bonds here in a few minutes. Now, when that happened, prices, of course, cratered on everything. And bam, 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 the floor couldn't be found. It was, you know, 1929 stock market um, crash on steroids back in the day. And then at, at near the end of the mess, Rothschild started telling his agents, okay, go out there and quietly start buying up everything. And his agents did. Now, if everybody had known that it was Rothschild that was doing it, well, that might not go so well. But it was his agents that did it. And when the day was over with, two things happened. One, you had a case where now Rothschild was in a strong position because he owned stocks and he owned bonds. And the word came down, the English won the battle, which sent the price of the stocks and sent the price of the government bonds to the roof. Instant profits, massive profits. He was so much richer than he started out that morning. But there was a second part of that game. And this again goes back to our 1793 peace treaty or 83 peace treaty. That second part of the game, what did I say? The king was the Vatican's banker. The other day, 
the Vatican had a brand new puppet, and his name was Rothschild. All right. Now, that gives you a little bit of a little bit of background, so now we go from there. Here's a few nice, interesting things, and it again ties into again today. Your quote-unquote Bank of the United States was allowed to issue some credit. But here's some of the things they could not do. And you're going to love this list, ladies and gentlemen. The Bank of the United States could not buy government bonds. Hmm. The directors were rotated on a regular schedule. Hmm. They could not issue any debt notes. Hmm. Hmm. And they could not issue any debt that exceeded their capitalization, which means if they didn't have the cash for it, they couldn't issue it. Now, banks were chartered by the state that they were in. In other words, Tennessee had its own bank, and then, of course, a lot of communities had their own, and they all had to get a charter from the quote-unquote masters, if you will, at the state level. And again, that charter was for 20 years, generally speaking. And if you screwed up, or if you were busy doing some, shall we say, shady things, <clears throat> Federal Reserve, guess what? Not only did they not renew your charter, they pulled your charter. So guess what? Bankers had integrity. Not all bankers were criminals. Now, some overextended themselves in some of the excitement of traveling out west and, you know, you know, giving away money for the purposes of buying real estate. But for the most part, they were well-respected people in their community. And ladies and gentlemen, that is important. Give me 30 seconds, Marty. Okay, yeah. Uh, you know, and that's the thing here. Until you understand the history, what really happened and what you were taught in school bears no resemblance to what actually happened um, as an adult and and having read many historical documents and everything. What I was taught in school about our history is a fiction, and all of this banking was not taught. Uh, if it was, it was a, that this was a glorious thing that happened and, you know, the Federal Reserve and all was a great thing. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. And, you know, we've talked many times on this show and other shows about the fact that you actually can own nothing. The IRS, which is the enforcement arm of the International Monetary Fund, the global bank, the IRS is listed on the deed to your property. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> As having first rights to it in perpetuity. <coughs> Excuse me, please. And you are listed as a tenant, not as the owner, but as a tenant. And just like your vehicle, you can pay it off and you can pay for those tabs every year. You stop paying for the tabs, you can't drive your car. And the government can seize it if they think you committed a crime. They don't have to prove you did. They just have to think you did. So if you got a really nice vehicle, be careful. And but this is what we've done. And people say, "Well, I own this. I own that." No, you don't. No, you're just paying for it on your property. Try not paying those taxes on it, even after you've paid the mortgage off. They'll come take it and sell it. So you don't own anything. Go ahead, John. 
And we'll talk about that in a little bit about land patents. But uh, from there, the problem with the second bank in the United States is there was a bunch of theft. Okay, now you have to realize something, folks. There were treaties that were made with the Indians. And in those treaties, in some instances there, they were basically money being put in the trust for the purposes of giving to these people. And remember, these corporations slash governments, all they are are a trust. You have to think about it in that term. The word government just means a Latin in mind control in Latin, okay? But they're nothing more than trusts created for the benefit of their trust owners. And as long as people go along with the BS and assume they get some benefits from the quote-unquote trust, well, you've been press-ganged into that corporation slash trust. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. There was a massive amount of gold theft that took place. And when that happened, that created a major problem for the United States. Now, all of the state banks were required to put a certain amount of gold and silver into the banks, into the uh, central bank. Okay, that was always a requirement. Okay. And so chartered banks in the states and local levels, okay, they could create certificates, okay. I didn't say notes, I said certificates. And those certificates, again, represented silver or gold. And if you know anything about banking history, you know that most people, you know, they don't come in there and all of a sudden everybody demands all their gold back at one point. So some of these banks did some unlawful and illegal activities like creating too many certificates for gold and silver that they did not have because they knew nobody would actually come in in large quantities and request it all at once. And when it did happen, these banks shuttered. And, of course, any depositors of that bank got crushed. Then you have these bank-created depressions, okay? Again, relevant. You can now fast forward. The problem was this. We still had war reparations that had to be paid. We had lost the war Revolutionary War, the War of 1812, you look at the peace treaty there, all it does is point right back to the 1783 peace treaty. That's all it does. So those reparations were still owed. Couldn't be paid. Now Lincoln, what he was doing, what was actually taking place, even prior to Lincoln, was you had all of these, you know, the corporation, the constitution, I call it a constitution. Remember, a constitution is one who agrees to pay the debts of another. Um, taxes were to be equally apportioned. Equally. In other words, no, ta- no state would pay more in taxes than any other state. But you see, here's a problem. Because in the South, the South was busy importing stuff large quantities of it. The North had the manufacturing base and the North had the population. The South didn't. 
Now, the South had some wealth. There was plenty of wealth there, but it didn't have manufacturing. Trust me, if it had a manufacturing base, the results of the war of Northern aggression would have been quite different. I can assure you of that. But getting off of that point, another thing that people don't realize, and again, this is relevant, when the states kept the rights to succeed from the Union, several of them did. Virginia was one of them. And what most people don't realize is the very first state that threatened to leave the Union wasn't Southern. I can't remember which one, but it was one of the northern states in the War of 1812 that didn't want to go to war with England. I think it was New England, actually. But what I'm saying is this. People, you have to know your history because banking, wars, and government, you cannot separate those things. You simply cannot do it. They are intertwined as tight as anything you can possibly imagine. It's like they're melted together. So we had a situation where we now had the War of Northern Aggression. And remember, folks, everybody points and says, see, Fort Sumter, the Southerners fired first. Why did the Southerners fire first? Two reasons. One, the fort that they fired upon had been invaded in the middle of the night around Christmas time. And uh, people just basically sat down and said, hey, we're not leaving. And for all this time, the uh, southern, you know, there said, hey, please leave. We'll pay for your shipping back up north. You can be fine, Danny. No. No, no, no. The result was uh, Lincoln, of course, gets elected. Major problem there. And he creates an army and a navy and an armada to come south to reinforce that. And people, you have to realize that that port was critical, critical for the southern states because that's where most of their imports were coming in. It was one of the major, major places where imports came, along with over there in the Louisiana neighborhood. But again, that's hundreds and hundreds of miles away. So with that, when the Navy ship, the first one finally arrived with its troops, couldn't play games anymore. The shots were fired. Fort surrendered. The quote-unquote War of Northern Aggression slash Civil War 3.0 started. At the end of the war, the same thing that happens at the end of every war. Who profited from it? The military-industrial complex and the bankers. The South was demolished. It was destroyed. The North was, for all practical purposes, bankrupt, and it was bankrupt before the first shots got fired. And remember, both sides were creating debt notes. The Confederates had their fiat currency, and the Union had their fiat currency, the greenback. And I'm here to tell you, folks, bankers do not like somebody else issuing something that they want to have a monopoly on. And again, if you don't know who it was that killed Lincoln, you think John Wilkes Booth was the only player? 
you don't know squat about your history then because they didn't teach you in school what actually happened. That was a Vatican hit. Again, this is not John's conjecture. This isn't John's opinion. This is historical fact. Now, Lincoln was a war criminal, so I had zero problem with him getting a bullet in the back of his head. It doesn't hurt my feelings at all. But you see, here's the thing. There was also some other hits that were supposed to take place that day. Seward, Secretary of State, he was almost murdered. He survived the attack. General Grant left town early. So in his particular case, something interesting happened. He was safe. And finally, the one that was supposed to go after the Vice President Johnson got cold feet and didn't go after him. Now, were repercussions of the Vatican being involved with that attempted coup, which it was, was we didn't have relationships with the Vatican on a governmental level other than having somebody over there just to casually hang out until Ronald Reagan's day in the 1980s. How, that's what, 120 years? 120 years, Marty? And again, both sides pandered to the Vatican. And if you look at historically speaking, you look at your history and you look at what some of those people back in the day talked about the Vatican, and they talked about the Jesuits, and look at what their opinion of was them. You better figure out what's going on, people. Better do it. So now we've got the bankers are now in charge. You've got a pillaging of the South. You've got a plundering of the South. It is now conquered territory. And they've created this brand new creature. Congress did. There was never such a thing as what we're talking about now. Congress created this brand new entity called a United States citizen. That was brand new. It wasn't something that the states got together and agreed on. Now, the states had to sign off on it under threat and duress, which doesn't make it valid, by the way. But uh, you had to, one, if you were part of the southern states that were in rebellion, you had to swear allegiance to the United States. Guess what? They did. Threatened duress, ladies and gentlemen. Read the book, um, No Treason, The Constitution of No Authority. No Treason, The Constitution of No Authority by Lysander Spooner. Kind of get a different perspective on the thing as you think. But getting into back to my point, they had to have a place to put in these quote-unquote newly freed slaves. Hmm. Well, basically, that was for all the quote-unquote slaves and the mulattoes, whatever were not quote-unquote state citizens. A brand new creature, ladies and gentlemen, was nothing normal. Remember, everybody was a citizen of their own states, including the slaves, because based on their statistics, it was like every slave represented seven-tenths of a man or some crap like that. I don't remember the details exactly, but something along those lines for accounting purposes of congressional representation, if you will. Now, bankers are coming in and stealing prime real estate. 
Again, nothing new here. Going back in history, the original constitution, there was now a new constitution post-Civil War. And again, people don't know this. The original 13th Amendment, Title of Nobilities Act, says that if you were a member of a bar, if you had a title from any foreign enterprise, you could not be party to the United States Corporation. Why is that? Because you ran a risk of causing harm to the American people. Common sense, right? Because your initial loyalties were not to your country, fellow countrymen. It was to somebody overseas, somebody else. And you look at who signed off on the peace treaty of 1783. Were there two Americans there on that list that signed off on that for the Americans? Yes, they were. What did they have in common? Oh, this is interesting. They were English attorneys. Uh-huh. Gee. Hmm. Something to think about. Noose twist. The Constitution, the original one, and the new version said that gold and silver, would we were on a bimetallic system. That was the only thing that was to be considered money. States could not issue debt. Let me say that again. No state could issue debt. And only the government could create and determine the value of money out of its Congress. Okay? And remember, the people controlled, in theory, the congressmen. And I do say that in theory because I've never seen any real evidence of doing much. But anyway. So from there, we have a brand new instance. It's called in the history books, the crime of 73. The crime of 18. 73. Okay. Oh, and a little side note before I get into the crime of 1873. Johnson, who had stayed loyal to the North, was a Southern boy and a major supporter of the Constitution. They tried desperately to impeach him. It failed, but came damn close. And there was these things called the Reconstruction Acts. That never quite got finished. People, you've been under martial law your entire life, whether you realize that or not. There was never an official quote-unquote peace treaty after the War of Northern Aggression. There wasn't. And you look up General Orders 100. General Orders 100. Look it up, people. And then ask yourself, hmm, maybe that's telling us a little something. Anyway, more conspiracy theory, Marty. Forgive me for teaching people the history. No, All don't right. do that. You... <laughs> wow. So, the crime of 73. The bankers, remember, were basically broke now. Both sides, north and south, are bankrupt for all practical purposes. Um, yeah, you had the uh, 49ers that found some gold, and you had some silver starting to show up in the market also. Okay, that was all basically out west. But remember, it takes time to mine that stuff and to get coined and do all that kind of stuff. Okay, But gold would have been what was being shipped overseas to pay for all the stuff that was coming in to fight the war on both sides. 
thing. Well, the bankers came in and says, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to change things. We're no longer going to be a biometallic system. Now you can only pay with gold. You can no longer pay debts with silver. What's this? Once again, a perfect example of monopoly. Now, back then, the numbers coming out of the ground was about 15 ounces of silver for every one ounce of gold. Give or take, you know, one or two points their perspective by the way ladies and gentlemen that number right now in 2020 is now eight to one eight ounces of silver out of the ground for every one ounce of gold coming out of the ground gold is at 1900 silver is at 25 hint hint anyway crime of 73 passed so now only gold stood as money and bankers love control. So what do you do? You create a couple of disasters, financial, of course. Well, since nobody had any gold, all that was basically circulating was some copper and some silver. And by the way, during the uh, War of Northern Aggression, any and all coins got pulled from circulation. It didn't matter what form they were in. Nobody spent a coin because it was perceived to have value where the paper money didn't. And Lincoln's, um, you know, money, again, was one of the issues that got him killed. If you read the English papers back in the day, their loyalties were actually with the South. And while um, there was lip service given to the South by the Vatican, the Vatican was actually supporting the North. And again, this goes back to the subject matter that I talked about in 1822 – the Vatican got together with the European or several European kingdoms and says we cannot let this populist movement catch on. Okay? If we're going to maintain our control, we can't let people stop making choices for themselves. Can't do it. And now is one of the reasons why, again, if you know your history, Russia helped find helped the blockade of the southern ports. Again, do your research. Real history, ladies and gentlemen. So anyway, now we've crashed the economy again, and people are very upset for obvious reasons. They've just fought a civil war. Lots of America's best and brightest are dead or dying of war wounds. Everybody's been psychologically scarred for the most part, if you were in the southern states especially. You know, People don't know what a cowboy was. Guess what? The cowboys were usually um, young boys and young men who traveled out west because their parents were dead. A little history we don't want to talk about. But with regards to the bank crashing and the theft of the gold back with the uh, second bank of the United States, again, all of it tied into the European bankers as well, the uh, a lot of the um, Indian tribes got shafted. The American people got shafted, and the United States Corporation got shafted. We now had a major banking problem here in America, and there was a lot of pushback. It says, "Hey, we have to change things. We have to look at the world a little bit differently." 
And again, for people that don't know it, that led to a brand new situation. And what was that situation? Well, some guy did a little treatise. Hold on a minute. Do, 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 do. Get online here. Um, follow the yellow brick road. Okay. What do you think that was? Think there might be a reason for that in the book? little bit of information. The Wizard of Oz. Look very carefully at it. What is Oz? Short for ounce. Now, if everybody remembers the movie from the 1930s, well, Dorothy, she had these ruby red slippers. Interesting thing, though, in the books, they weren't ruby red. They were made of silver. They were silver in color. And again, look up something else, ladies and gentlemen. Hold on a minute. Cross of Gold speech. William Jennings Bryan. He was a former representative from Nebraska, Democratic National Convention in Chicago on July 9th, 1896. Bryan supported bimetallism or free silver, which he believed would bring the nation prosperity, which it would have. Because remember, we already had the crime of 73. And I'm telling you, out west, silver was traded comfortably. Everybody was happy to take silver. Hell, silver belt half the uh, big cities out in uh, California. Okay, not joking. It played a big role. But anyway, William Jennings Bryant, he was symbolized by the cowardly lion and his cross of gold speech. Everybody should really go out and look for it and read it. It's not that long. In fact, I think you can even listen to it. I think it's on YouTube. Actually spoken by William Jennings Bryant after they, you know, uh, recorded it at some point in the early turn of the century. So there was this pushback by the people against the bankers. Now we move forward a few more years. Everybody is furious. They want something done because we had yet another depression that was bank brought on. We had the crash of 1907. The people are catching on to the scam, okay? They're figuring things out, and they're pretty upset about it, as well they should be. And again, if you don't know your history, there was an awful lot of banking information going between the bankers. They were talking to each other, and he says, we're fixing to do something next year. And when the time comes for renewing the loans, don't. So this is where you've got a monopoly control over money. Now, fast forward a few more years. <clears throat> You've got Rockefeller's man, or Rothschild's man here in America, Rockefeller. Now, John, let's just say he was not the most ethical and moral of characters, said, hey, let's get everybody uh, together that's uh, interested in banking and has all this kinds of good money. And he came up with a plan. Now, folks, you can believe what you want to be. I don't care if you believe it was the Titanic or not that went to the bottom of the ocean. And I don't believe if you think it was just there sunk base because it hit a certain piece of floating ice. Don't care. 
All I care about is what happened leading up to that point. And that is this. He said, listen, folks, let's take a trip on this ship. And all these banking people and all these mega rich people showed up in Europe to take this trip. Quote, unquote, Titanic. As it was about time to leave, Rockefeller didn't get on there. Or J.P. Morgan, I'm sorry, I'm saying Rockefeller, Morgan, J.P. Morgan, John Pierpont Morgan. He didn't get on the ship, and he was the one who invited all these people. Now, to make matters worse, he had had that ship loaded up with all of his artwork from Europe that he was planning on sending back to America. Even if he wasn't on the ship, the artwork could still go there, right? Yeah, it could still go there, unless he knew it wasn't going to make it. Another little detail. There was a survivor. He got off the ship at the very same place, the last stop before they got on their final journey, as the entire crew of the quote-unquote Titanic got off the ship. Now, this was a Catholic priest that was told, get off the ship. Hmm. Why did the crew get off the ship? What did they know? Was there a fire in the boiler, as some people say there was? Was there other issues going on behind the scenes, which evidence again shows there was? At a time when there was a very difficult time getting coal to put ships at sea, we had two things happen. One, you had an entire crew, which would have loved to have made some extra money, decide that it wasn't in their best interest to stay on the ship. They left. So a brand new crew showed up on the ship. Issue number two, an empty ship took a little trip under instructions. And that ship went out and was told, go to this location and sit. Just go there and sit. Does that make any sense? No. It makes zero sense. None at all. All that was on it was a little bit of stuff to keep people warm. Interesting, considering it's empty ship. Why is that its cargo? The problem was, that ship went out to its designated location, and the radio man decided to take a nap all night. Meanwhile, this little ship goes traveling on down the road. Everybody knew where those damn things were anyway, by the way, folks. I'm telling you, you don't – it's not like it jumps out and goes boo. You see it from miles away. Okay? Goes to the bottom. I think it was 1,300 people killed, some stupid number like that including all the people that were busy fighting against the creation of this thing from the creature from Jekyll Island called the Federal Reserve. See, the bankers knew that the populist movement had to have something handed to them. They, they, they were not going to be able to outdo this. So how do you play that game? By being the change agent, which is what they were. And again, folks, if you don't know that J.P. Morgan bailed out U.S. Inc., 
at the turn of the century, there has been a direct tie between J.P. Morgan and the U.S. government for 120 years. Now, more important than that is J.P. Morgan was nowhere near as rich as everybody thought he was. Seems that in his will, everybody was really curious to know what his wealth was. The son of a bitch was an agent of Rothschild. Shocker, I know. But again, conspiracy theory, Marty. Yes, so I'm sure it was. Christmas, yeah, do you want to, before I get into the uh, crap with the Federal Reserve, do you want to cover any of that? Well, I just, you, to, you know, like I say, going back again, what we think is history, what we've been taught was history, bears little to no resemblance to what really happened. And so when you open up the box of stories and you actually find and ferret out the truth, and that's when people start yelling, yelling oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. Oh, it's fake news. And, um, I have a book, John, called White Trash, 175-Year History of the United States that you were never told about that precedes the uh, black slavery. And it's about how England... Uh, 175 years before, uh, had discovered America, because you know it wasn't here until they found it, and they gave noblemen 30 and 40,000 acre tracts of land with the caveat that they had to make it productive for England. And they came here thrilled to get all this land for freebies. And they thought, well, they'd just co-opt the Indians and make the Indians work the land. The Indians were not at all cooperative. So what England did was it cleaned its streets of orphans and widows and poor people and people who were in prison and shipped them all over here. And some of them were sold as slaves, some sold as indentured servants, but they worked those 40,000 and 30,000-acre plantations. And when they ran out of – and they bragged about, John, how wonderful the economy was in England after they did this and how these were waste populations anyway and how they'd be better off. And we're seeing the same thing today. We're seeing the elderly and those who are chronically ill deemed to be basically waste populations. We need to get rid of them because they're just a drag on the rest of us. And so they, when they ran out of people there, they moved to France – and Spain and did the same, or they'd moved to Spain and then went to France and then France said, no, you're not coming here. But they had gone to Ireland, done the same thing there. But here we have all of this history. I had no clue any of this. We all have this mindset that somehow the the country started in 1776. And that's where everybody's thoughts about our country start. And they never start stop to think what happened before, what went on before. And there's a long history of stuff that I never had any clue about. But this is basically what you're talking about, the reality of like when you were talking about the story of the Wizard of Oz. I had heard there was a background on this, but I had never found anything uh, sufficient to explain it. You just did. And um, that's really quite the story when you think about it. And, and it was a way of bringing it out to the public of this is right in front of you. This is what happened to you. But uh, why they want to hide actual history. 
I'm not sure. Because it doesn't change the fact that it occurred the way it did. So why hide it? And if you can't learn from it if you don't know the truth. And maybe that's where we are now. I don't know. Uh, but I have never seen people in all my life, John, as blockheaded, refusing. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to listen to it. They like say it's fake news or conspiracy theory or you're crazy. It's history. It isn't what you were taught. It wasn't what I was taught. But it's far more interesting than what we were taught. And um, it, it just, I think these shows are important for from that standpoint. What what we what we learned in school is nothing. Nothing. And it's boring. It's meant to be boring. It's meant to be done so you don't remember it. You don't you know, like I say, but real history. What really happened? Like when you're talking about the Titanic, that was incredible. That was incredible. And um I, I just I don't know I don't know but go ahead John I'm sorry. Well, don't be uh, <clears throat> surprised, but uh, you know I've been studying history since I was a little boy, and if it was boring, quote unquote, you think I'd spend incredible days, weeks, months, and years reading books on history? No. Anyway. Ladies and gentlemen, it was the HNS Britannic that went to the bottom of the ocean. It was not the Titanic. You have to realize that. And again, if you don't John, know that there John, was some damage, how did how did they get a how did they get away with that? Because they didn't they claim there was an attack on the Britannic and explain that. No, no, no. That was a different one. Okay. I believe. Um. But um, going back, you had that ship went down. You have to realize that there was a naval disaster that happened to that particular ship. It meant nobody could use it for the purposes originally intended anymore, which was taking people around. But those two ships were side by side for several months. And for all practical purposes, they were almost the exact same ship with just a couple cosmetic differences. And the changeover could have been done very easily. Now, both ships had a um, metal, literally, that physically showed you which ship it was. Okay, it was literally stamped into the ship itself. But what happened is they covered it up with wood. They covered it up with wood. And if you go, I haven't verified this, but rumor has it that on the bottom of the ocean where they actually found the Titanic, quote-unquote, they filmed that section, too. And uh, it had a couple letters that it was not on the Titanic. Okay? So, again, believe what you want to believe. Oh, and by the way, on that same thing, um, there was also a book written about it a few years earlier than that, a little bit different name, but basically the same storyline. These people really don't have much of an imagination. I really believe that. And remember, I keep telling everybody they have to tell you what they're going to do before they do it anyway. So I'm not going to get into all that. We ain't got time. We're talking banking today. Anyway, all right. United States Senate. This comes directly from Senate.gov, ladies and gentlemen. This isn't John's opinion. 
It took many months of nearly straight party-line voting, but on December 23, 1913, when most of the Senate was gone, the Senate passed and President Woodrow Wilson signed the Federal Reserve Act. The need for a central bank became painfully evident during the financial panic of 1907. When the stock market collapsed, banks failed and credit evaporated. Because the federal government lacked the tools to respond, it had to depend on private banks such as J.P. Morgan, (gasps) who said that a minute ago, to provide an infusion of capital to sustain the banking system, to correct the problem of an inelastic currency, quote-unquote. Congress created a National Monetary Commission chaired by the Rhode Island Republican Senator Nelson Aldrich. Aldrich proposed a system that would run by private bankers who would act as federal agents. Progressives adamantly opposed what they called a surrender to the money trust and blocked its passage. In 1912, Democrats won the White House and majorities in both houses of Congress. Even before his inauguration, President-elect Woodrow Wilson began encouraging congressional leaders to enact banking and currency reform. In March 1913, the Democratic Senate created its first Banking and Currency Committee, chaired by Oklahoma Senator Robert D. Owen. The House Banking Committee was chaired by Virginia Representative and future Senator Carter Glass. June President Wilson formally proposed creation of a government-run Federal Reserve System. The House took up the issue first and passed a bill in September, after which the Senate Banking Committee began holding hearings. I'm not going to continue the reading because that doesn't take me where I need to go. Ladies and gentlemen, you think censorship is bad today? It's always been around. See, there was this really, really, really cool gentleman back then. He was a congressman back in the day. Charles August Lindbergh Sr., the daddy of the junior who uh, did the Spirit of St. Louis thing and, of course, became his congressman himself. Well, uh, this young man, he had morals and ethics. Okay. He wrote a book called Banking and Currency Money Trust, okay, and the Money Trust. Ladies and gentlemen, he saw the writing on the wall, and he knew Aldrich, and he knew the scumbaggy things that were going on. And his book, which was written in 1912 and published in 1913, well, let's just say it tells you a very different story about what was happening in Congress at the time. There was a full-out war, full-out war going on. Now, he didn't know about this little meeting that took place down there in Georgia. Okay, He didn't know anything about that. But what he did know was there was a whole boatload of bankers across the country who were saying, Hello, I can't come out and openly tell you this because New York will come down and shut me down. But we don't want this banking act that Aldrich is proposing. We want nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it. And for good reason. Because what happened after that is this. With the shutdown, we had a takeover. In 1913, that was a coup, ladies and gentlemen, in a very real sense. You had a lot of banks that failed. You had a brand new system that was being created. And here's the kicker. Federal Reserve notes were only there to expand the money supply in desperate times. Because back then you still had gold certificates and silver 
calculated, which means if you took those things into these banks, you were permitted to get out a gold coin or a silver coin, which is what they represented. But you see, that's not about this. This is about changing people's perspectives of the world. It changed everything. But folks, I'm encouraging you, read the book, Banking and Currency and the Money Trust by Charles August Lindbergh Sr. The bankers, aka the Vatican, despised it so badly. That was the first book that actually got burned. They came in and took everything from the printers, torched them. Look it up. They didn't want that information out there. The good news is a few copies survived and went overseas. So we now know what Charles August Lindbergh Sr. was telling people back in the day or trying to before they wouldn't let him do it. Because I can assure you, if the American people had read this book, oh my word, the hangings that would have taken place of New York bankers. And remember something, folks. You better take into consideration one other little detail. New York is the economic powerhouse of quote-unquote America. They don't call it the Empire State for nothing. Okay? They don't. The Twin Towers, what did they call that? World Trade Center. Think about those three words. World Trade Center. It was a bank heist. The bushes were behind a big chunk of it. They had issues. They were trying to get to some gold, and they were trying to hide the fact that they had some bullshit bonds. But again, conspiracy theory. Tell you to do some honest-to-God research and discover some of the things that went on on 9-11. But again, that's we're not talking that today. But I can't resist opportunities to say, wake up, people. They're warring against you. All right, so with the Federal Reserve Act passed, we now had a new system. Comes times around, new things happened. 1929, we had, a, uh, we had the quote-unquote World War I. Again, wouldn't have been possible without fiat currency. Okay. People forget that uh, government back then didn't have trillion-dollar budgets. Hell, the United States corporation budgets I don't think even had a billion-dollar budget at the time. Okay, Think about that just for a minute or two. Now, you had World War I. Two things went into effect at that point. You had a bunch of GIs that got shipped overseas. You had a bunch of widows and orphans back in the States. You had a bunch of men and a bunch of people getting injected with poisons that was killing a horrendous amount of the American population of the time. Gee, sound familiar? Maybe seeing it again in 2021? Hint, hint. So... 1922, they create this brand new thing yet again, a birth certificate, because we had to have some place to put all of these orphans to say, hey, you know, got this. 
Well, then we get this character named Franklin Delano Roosevelt gets elected in 1933, post-1929 stock market crash. Well, the thing about FDR, other than being a damn banker from New York and a Democrat, everybody thinks the Democrats are you know, anti-bank. <laughs> the Democrats have been baiting that bank since the beginning. Okay, what is the very, 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 very first act that Franklin Delano Roosevelt does when he steps on that podium? He tells the people something. Now, they call it a new deal, which is what it was. He says something. Today is a day of national consecration. Today is a day of national consecration. Now, if you type that into the, um, you know, if you look up FDR's inauguration speech and go to the printed version of that, good luck finding those words. Good luck with it. It's conveniently left out. But technology in 1933 was people were actually there recording it, Marty, so we can actually hear what the man really did say. Today is a day of national consecration. What does the word nation mean? It's the corporation masquerading as government. It's not the country. What does consecration mean? Both valid questions. It means you're working for the church. Oh, let's talk about Vatican banking, Rothschild and Rockefeller, or J.P. Morgan again. Why don't we? Hmm. Conspiracy theories, Marty. Conspiracy theory. I'm telling you. Conspiracy theory. So what's the very first thing that son of a bitch does? He proceeds to then shut down the friggin' banks and steal the American people's gold. What little bit of it is left. Because we had to get another heist. Again, what people don't know is Vatican headquarters is actually in uh, France. And um, at least Jesuit headquarters is. You're looking at something else happened in 1922 that was very bad for the American people. See, pass something to allow France to help France rebuild, okay, after World War One. Got to admit, it was disastrous for Germany. It was disastrous for France. Very bad war. They gave France all these gold notes or gold certificates, I should say, gold certificates. Remember, a note is a debt instrument. A certificate is something that you have evidence of ownership. What did France do? Say, thank you, America. God bless you. And use the currency that we handed them? Of course not. They turned around and came to America with those same certificates and put them in the banks and took the gold back to France with them. That's really cool. That's really nice. Oh, gee, hmm, maybe that had a little something to do with the crash of the stock market, something to do with the economic damage that was being done in the early 30s. Hmm, maybe. What did I say? Gold was the only way to pay back debts. Gold was the only way to pay back debts. And now we just shipped a whole much more gold over to Germany or over to France. And remember, we've been sending gold over to Europe since day one, and they've been taking it since day one, and oftentimes in very large quantities. Hmm. So again, French have our gold. 
Americans are broke, bankrupt, all those kind of wonderful things, people losing their homes, their farms, everything that matters. And in the end, when it's all over said and done with, bankers are winning again. Because after FDR stole the people's gold in 1933, gold was $20.63 an ounce at the time. But when all those gold and gold notes got turned in, something different happened. Oh, they magically changed the value of gold from $20.63 an ounce to $35. Wow, we just won the lotto big time, said the bankers and said U.S. Inc. Did the American people benefit from that? No! Massive theft. Gee, shocking. I know, it's banking. They're moral and ethical people. They don't steal. Never, never, never. So we have this brand new deal, which was basically an enslavement of the entire people and all of their property. This is where everybody got turned into a serf. See, prior to this, here's, again, history that people don't know. And again, folks, if you want verification of this, just go to eBay for crying out loud. Go to eBay. Type it in. Land patent. Look it up. Land patent. You'll discover something very interesting. Presidents of the United States Corporation used to sign off that a debt was paid and took land they were on. When did that change? When did that change? Oh, oh my! Think about it. What did Marty tell you at the beginning of the show? Read your deed, people. It doesn't call you an owner. It calls you a tenant, which means you're a renter. And try to get something signed off by Trump or Obama or Clinton. They never signed off any land patents. Never. Well, at least not to us. They might have done it to the Chinese. I'm sure they did, actually. Anyway, that's beside the point. No, actually, it's not. It is the point. So, then we had this brand new thing created again under FDR. It's the Social Security Act. Again, necessary. Giant pyramid scheme, anybody who's done actual research on it. But, uh, yeah, that's what it was, a giant pyramid scheme. Communism comes to America. Long story short, now you have something brand new taking place. Now, of course, the Supreme quote-unquote court says, I don't think so. Oh, and by the way, the states all went along with this crap. Um, at the same time he was doing this, he uh, told the governors certain things were taking place, and they went along with the quote-unquote free money. Because there is no money, ladies and gentlemen. There hasn't been any money since 1933, at least not in public hands. People forget that they weren't allowed to own gold coins unless they were antique collectible coins up until I think it was the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, something like that. And uh, anyway, what took place then after the Social Security Act was there's all this warfare going on. 
government is having a big problem because there's people not tolerating it. People forget that there in the 20s, uh, 1920s, there was a uh, march on Washington. Um, the uh, soldiers who fought in World War One were promised to uh, get um, certain bonuses. They came for their bonuses, and they were basically shipped out and chased away by, uh, of all things, uh, MacArthur. He was a party to it, which is a shame. I happen to like General MacArthur. And uh, again, learn your history, folks. You've got to learn your history. But death to the gold, changing of the value of the gold. Now we had a new situation. We had to get into World War II. Had to. Now we had made this deal with the English, and remember my tie in again, I'm telling you folks, we lost that war, which is of course why we're busy supporting England rather than the Germans. And uh, for people who don't know their history, there was actually a vote in Congress that passed by, I think it was one vote of which the language of America would be, whether it would be English or German. (laughs) Again, a little history you don't generally know about. So from there, December 7th, 1941, as I alluded to earlier in our um, little advertisement for this show, Folks, if you don't know that we had a direct tie into England and that uh, FDR and the uh, clown over there in England um, knew each other going back all the way to World War One, the goal was to get Japan to attack America because that was the only way that we were going to get enough Americans pissed off and ready to go to war. So FDR, one of the things that he was busy doing was he was busy embargoing. And remember, an embargo, that's an act of war. Okay, That's really an act of war. And, um, you know, the Japanese got pushed. The ships were on the move. FDR knew they were on the move. And needless to say, no phone calls were made out there and uh, bombs fell. And when the bombs fell, of course, everybody and their brother in America got all kinds of upset. And it's time to go to war. Time to go to war. So again, here we are, World War II. Military-industrial complex was not doing very well during the peace years after World War One. So World War II was, shall we say, a regular boom. The quote-unquote depression of the 1930s magically went away when we started murdering each other for banking profits and for uh, you know military industrial complex profits but again that's a story for a different day and folks if you don't realize it again Bush dynasty do you think they got their money from friggin oil <laughs> no ladies and gentlemen Senator Bush was a banker who was he banking with Adolf Hitler. (laughs) More history. You're a conspiracy theorist. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen. Mm -hmm. And while we're on that particular subject matter, let's talk about Henry Ford for just a minute. Yes, that American that produced so many absolutely wonderful cars and trucks for American people putting around the uh, countryside. Yeah, that was his motor that was busy running the German war machine over there also. Mm-hmm. Facts. 
In fact, Adolf Hitler had a full-size picture of the man in his own office. On top of the fact, he gave him the highest award a Germany could give a civilian. <laughs> History, ladies and gentlemen, just not the one you hear about. He actually sued. He actually sued. Uh, United States after the war um, because the Americans bombed one of the uh, plants that he owned and destroyed it and of course he won. But again, we don't talk about actual history in that. And I'm getting off track here because we're talking about banking. But like I said, you cannot get away from banking and government and the military-industrial complex. They're one and the same. Okay, They really are one and the same. So World War II is now over. Things are quote unquote getting better in theory. We have Operation Paper Paper Clip that brings all the Nazis over here. Um, lots of shenanigans going on behind the scenes, and uh, the military-industrial complex is already starting to get some teeth again because it's powerful now. It doesn't have anybody to fight, but it doesn't like losing all those massive profits that it's making. Very, 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 very relevant. So we had a certain former general and then a president on his, or his final speech say, beware of the military-industrial complex. Eisenhower warned us. And I was in my 40s before I actually found out that Ike had actually said that. And I saw the YouTube video, and I says, wow, never heard that before. Yep. So he warned you. And we're only talking a few years after the CIA was created, okay? It was an extension of, uh, you know, um, basically the military secret service, if you will, combination of uh, whatever duty dogs we had that uh, used to work behind the scenes. And again, for people that don't know it, an awful lot of the former um, Germans who worked, you know, special war criminals for what they were, were actually hired on to be CIA puppets and assets and left in place overseas <laughs> as we had to create a brand new quote-unquote war. And, um, you know, on that particular note, let me bring up one other issue. You know, we had another general that mysteriously died for a small minor car accident. And again, murder tied directly back into the Vatican and uh, his big crime. Well, let's just say he wasn't very fond of the way they were treating the German people. Because for all the war crimes that the Nazis committed, the Allies did that and much, 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 much worse. And again, we don't want to talk about the fact that we bombed Germany into the Stone Age, including civilians. We didn't care. And we burning down cities that had zero military value. Zero. Not because there was any military target there. There wasn't. It was done solely to kill, maim, and murder. Got to rebuild a country, right? Moving on. So, goodness, losing out time quickly. Fast forward, we also had a meeting between all the allies at the time. We had the Bretton Woods Agreement made, the Bretton Woods Agreement, 1944, I believe, tied the American dollar to the um, 
$35 an ounce for gold and everything, all other currencies would come off of that. Remember, there was no money anymore. And it had to have some kind of a direct tie to something of value, and that's what they tied on to. And moving forward into the 1971, uh, Nixon um, did away with the uh, gold being interchangeable at the $35 an ounce. Again, why? Because the French, gee, there's the French people again. Uh, French general, now leader of the country, came in and says, you know, we want our $35 in, uh, you know, for your fiat currency for gold that you promised to pay us. So when we ran out of gold, we shut the gold window. Well, that made every currency on the planet floating. All currencies on the planet were now floating. Now, what the Americans did, we experienced a period of hyperinflation and recession and all those nasty things that go along with printing too much quote-unquote currency to chase too few goods. Okay, Look up the Weimar Republic if you want an education and what that can lead to. 1922 Germany, post-World War One. Yeah, it was cheaper to burn stacks and stacks of uh, currency than it was to buy cordwood for your stove. Look it up, people. They would take literally wheelbarrows full of money to the store for the purpose of buying a loaf of bread. And then there was one instance where they had a situation where they dumped the money onto the ground and stole the wheelbarrow. One had value, one didn't. Three guesses which was which. Think it's not happening now? Ladies and gentlemen, in the last one year, the last, well, not even one year, we have added 27% to circulating currency, fiat currency. You look at the number, if you would look at money as being a you know, certain amount circulating at any given time, and all of a sudden you have this massive spike straight up or practically straight up. That's like a neon sign, or at least it should be to you. They're destroying the currency, not just here, but everywhere. Going back to 1971, Nixon had a statement. He says, we are all Keynesians now. We are all Keynesians now. Look it up. And under Keynes... Well, his theory was more government spending. Okay, when private sector can't do it, uh, government needs to pick up the pace and spend in money into the public until private sector can pick it up again. Well, you know, fiat currency means you can spend on government as much as you want to as long as you're sitting there paying debts and, you know, just borrowing money, which is what we did. Which is why when Ronald Reagan took charge uh, back around my uh, early years, we had what one or two trillion dollars in debt, I think, under Reagan at the beginning, and where are we at now? Like twenty trillion, twenty-two trillion for the United States, I think some stupid number like that. Anyway, getting off track. But um, with this hyperinflation in America, you had stagflation. That's why we were called stagnating economy, high inflation. By the way, you're not in a period like that in America now. You are in a full-blown depression. This is a full-blown depression when you've got 50% unemployment, and the only reason people are surviving is because nobody's paying their rent, and half the people that are unemployed have been getting unemployment benefits and a few token payments. Guess what, folks? Next year, all that is goodies go away, and we'll talk about that changeover, and I know I'm running out of time quickly.
So we went to what's called a petrodollar. We made a deal with the Saudis. The Saudis and I, the United States, made an agreement. We would protect Saudi Arabia and, uh, you know, protect the oil as it was transported around the world. In exchange, they would tie their oil directly to the U.S. dollar. In other words, if you wanted to buy oil, you had to turn around and buy dollars first to go to the Saudis and then buy oil. Since the Saudis were the big player in the OPEC, oil-producing countries. And so that worked for a while. But again, as with all fiat currencies, they die sooner or later. And our fiat currency is long overdue for death. And on that particular note, J.P. Morgan announced to its major, major, major money people, not to the average smuck, but if you had a few billion dollars available to you, you got a little letter recently. It said, diversify out of the dollar. That was J.P. Morgan telling its billionaires something. Maybe you should take note of that, too. What did I say at the beginning of the show? Eight to one ratio, gold's 1,900, silver's 25, hint, hint. Anyway, so crashing the economy over and over again. We've had several more crashes. The stock market crash of 87. We've seen some games that got played. Um, we had basically another one in 2008. Um, I knew about the recession of 2008 and 2006. And I was talking about what was coming. And again, the banker payouts, all the things that got done, that was basically just a coup. Okay, that was the bankers threatening, hey, pay us or else, pay us or else. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you know, I've gone to great lengths to explain what's taking place now. Global economic reset, ladies and gentlemen, the global economic reset. And I talked about it. They told you about it in 1988. The Economist magazine, again, that's a Rothschild publication, and it showed uh, Phoenix Bird rising from the ashes of all the burning currencies of the world at the time. Around its neck was a date, 2018. It also had, um, it was there on a pendant that was clearly made of gold, and it also had a symbol. The symbol was for pi. Pi is the 21st letter in the alphabet for the Greek alphabet. That's code, ladies and gentlemen, for 2021. And this is, again, John's conspiracy theory. Uh, no. Vice President Al Gore is talking about it. The World Economic Forum is talking about it. The bankers are talking about it. Everybody's talking about it except the people running for re-election. Wake up, people. You're about to be pillaged again. This is going to be yet another version of the New Deal. And then we're going to offer you a little token payment. Say, here, we're going to give you this little token payment. We'll make sure that you have a place to stay and you'll be just fine. But in exchange, you're going to fill out this contract. You own nothing. But you'll be happy. You can stay at home and watch Netflix all day. It's all good. Probably get an injection or two also in the process. And whenever they decide they want to give you an injection or tell you to turn in your guns, you'll voluntarily do all of this. But part of the show tonight was to discuss 
options other than central banking and the fraud of the Federal Reserve System. And before I go into that, I do need to remind everybody, 12 United States Code 411, 12 United States Code 411. Federal Reserve notes are nothing more than negotiable debt instruments. They are not money. And they are a liability to the United States Corporation. They are a liability to the U.S. Corporation. They're not an asset. And they are not money, so stop treating them as such. Long story short, one of the things that happened, we had one state, Marty, what state was that, that has a state uh, bank? Which one is that, Uh, North Dakota. North Dakota has Yeah. North Dakota has a state bank. It's the only one that has not been affected negatively. Okay, with all this inflation, deflation, and the games that the bankers at the Federal Reserve have been playing, they haven't had all the economic problems these other states have. They haven't. There's a reason for that. They kept it local. Not all bankers are scumbags. Some of them actually gave a shit. Some of them actually went to great effort to make sure that things, bad things didn't happen. Uh, what's that Christmas movie um, where you've got the bank and the uh, young man trying to keep his little um, financial institution open? What's the name of that movie? I'm having a brain cramp. It's a wonderful I, life. I don't know. Oh, It's okay. a wonderful life, ladies and gentlemen. Look it up. Watch the movie this year. Look it up. That epitomizes, that epitomizes the struggle that want to do the right thing by the depositors and by the investors and by the criminal bankers. And the struggle is real. It is so real. So you have people that are already diversifying out of quote-unquote dollars. You know, we've talked about Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. No, I'm not a fan of cryptocurrencies, crypt, crypto, death. But hey, I'm not going to tell you no. Anybody that bought, uh, you know, <clears throat> you know, some of these cryptocurrencies, with especially looking at Bitcoin, I mean, they're doing incredibly well. Got no problem with it. I'm happy for them. I would hope they're smart enough to take some of those uh, digits and turn them into gold and silver. But remember, I'm a hard metals guy. I'm not a uh, fiat kind of guy. Because I'm telling you, the grid goes down. Guess what? Your quote-unquote wealth just went poof with it. But hey, you know, whatever floats your boats, I got no problem. You know, I'm an anarchist. I am believe that everybody has a choice to do what they want to do. As long as they're not harming anybody else, I don't have a problem with it. And there's actually institutions that are now going out of their way to try and buy Bitcoin. But, uh, you know, I've talked about the global economic reset and the bankers last month got their digital wallets and they got their own version. It's called a central bank digital currency, central bank digital currency. This is the new system, folks. There's a reason they've been pulling cash out of the system. There's a reason they've been pulling coins out of the system. As Marty said, everybody and their brother has piggy banks. And in a recession, guess what? Those piggy banks get emptied because everybody needs to buy a few groceries or buy a little bit of gas or pay an electric bill. Trust me, they're circulating just fine when they're out there to circulate. But when they're deliberately being pulled from circulation by the central bankers, well, there's your issue. That's why you folks need to diversify. 
I'm not fond of anything that you do not physically have possession of. If you're sitting there renting a safety deposit box at your local bank, you're an idiot. Because in a nutshell, they shut down those banks again. You don't own it. In the end, that's the game that's going to be played. And even if you do get access to that box again, well, I can tell you this. Somebody there at bank management may call a cop and say, okay, go ahead. Here's your box. Let's see what you have in it. Can't take out any gold or silver. And we're going to count how much cash you have. And by the way, I've got an acquaintance of mine who knows somebody else who had a small business and it was stashing money in a safety little safety deposit box. And he got lazy. He got lazy. So he took his $100,000 that he had in his little safety deposit box and told the girl at the checkout counter, hey, do me a favor. Count all this up for me. Well, guess what? She did what she was required to do, reported it. The IRS came in and says, oh, I guess you owe us some taxes. This 100000 of yours will do just fine. Uh-huh. Think it doesn't happen? Wake up. True story, ladies and gentlemen. And yes, the number was that high. It was 100000 Anyway, never trust bankers. Never trust bankers. The world is changing, my friends. If you want to start something, start it local. Get some things going together. One of the things that I've been encouraging people to learn to do is do your own farming, network with people that have different skill sets than yours, and exchange skill sets. Okay, One individual does this. One individual does that. Well, figure out a comparison on an hour-by-hour basis. Somebody grows carrots, somebody else grows corn, swap out carrots with corn. And by the way, this is what the early colonists did before money was circulating well. They contracted with each other. He says, hey, I'm growing this plant, you're growing that plant at the end of the season. Let's contract. Well, let's change what we have. Win-win. And again, History shows that things were going very well for the colonies back then. But bankers don't like competition. Politicians don't like competition. Ladies and gentlemen, you better learn your history, and you better learn not to trust these bankers. You better start learning to trust each other. Have a little bit of gold. Gold is to save your life. Have a lot of silver. Silver is to feed you and to barter. Not to mention, if I'm right, you're going to see a spike in silver. Silver is way undervalued for gold. Way undervalued. And it has a whole lot more uses for it than gold does. Don't get me wrong. Gold makes beautiful, beautiful jewelry and beautiful, beautiful coins. But silver does so much more. It creates the power of electricity. It kills in medical. It's a natural antibacteria. It has the ability to conduct electricity so very well. 
It requires several pounds of the stuff just to create a single missile to blow somebody up. And here's the kicker, ladies and gentlemen, that is super tight. And the fiat currency world has been playing with the values of all actual assets for the same amount of time. But the absolutely most manipulated of everything is silver. Ladies and gentlemen, here's what you need to know. What happened at the end of that book? Those weren't ruby red slippers. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Make sure you've got some silver, especially at these lowest prices, if you can find it. Anyway, other than that, let me tie one other thing together. Since there is no money, remember, there is no bank that loans money. You think you go into a bank for a loan, you don't. You don't. You didn't borrow any money from any bank. If you're a friend of mine on Facebook, I tagged you to a video earlier today of an actual court case, a real court case. And we're not even going to get into talking about my court case, which is tearing a big ass into these people. No. See, you filled out a piece of paper. What you did is you created the money yourself. You created it. See, what you did is you filled out a promissory note. That's what you actually did. The promissory note actually has real value. The bank turned around and sold that promissory note and then was able to monetize that. Now, they gave you some, quote, unquote, little electronic digits somewhere, but not relevant because they didn't. Banks cannot even lend money, folks. If you're not aware of that, they can't do it. Federal law says they can't do it. So you're being lied to on that basis, which, again, makes it fraud, but that's beside the point. What do they make you do? They make you sign this thing that turns them into the beneficiary. Again, fraud. Again, fraud. Because they didn't give you anything of value. Now, you exchange your labor for what the fiat currency, Federal Reserve, no crap is that you work for and the hopes that it doesn't lose its value. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you, my father was an electrical engineer for Westinghouse. He used to travel around the world. And, you know, he used to joke all the times that he'd been a millionaire multiple times. He'd go into these countries, and of course the fiat currency would go into hell, so you were talking millions and millions and millions of dollars, which was basically worthless. I mean, you can go on eBay right now and probably find, uh, you know, a Zimbabwe you know, for a million or a billion even. It'll cost you a few dollars, but that's all it'll cost you. That's the equivalent of what we used to call banana republics. Ladies and gentlemen, you're living in a banana republic right now. This is a massive theft. Only this time it's not at a countrywide level. This is on a worldwide level. This is the final takeover by the Vatican bankers to own everything and everybody. 
And if you take that injection, guess what? It's going to change your DNA, which by default means that you're now the property of somebody else because now they can patent. And folks, if you don't know the game is being played, I've told you. Gates has a patent even to turn everybody into a walking and talking crypto coin. Not a joke. Not a conspiracy theory. Fact. Have the ability to raise some groceries. Have some friends. Have some way to purify water. Have some knowledge, skills, and abilities. Have some way to defend yourself. And most important, don't fall for the propaganda. That's my thought process on banking. Back to you, Marty. Oh, wow. This has been a trip. The one thing I don't understand is how this Bitcoin thing works. I have never understood it. Uh, Why there could be any wealth in it. But apparently there is of some sort. But it escapes me. And I've told people for years, people who talk to me, John, and say things like, well, you know, I've got my pension. They've got to pay me. No, they don't. Um, Whoever owns that fund owns your investment. And you don't own anything till they put it in your hand. And they can take that money and blow it and squander it and risk it and do all kinds of things with it. And if they deplete the fund bankrupt it out too bad for you you just lose there's nothing you can do Uh, we've got the federal government who has been talking for at least 10 years about nationalizing federalizing all pension funds it isn't because they want to protect them they want to get their hands on that money it's just like social security which is a sore point with me Uh, they have been trying at least for 20 years to tie it to the stock market. And I've told people, don't you remember, do you have amnesia? When the stock market crashed, like in 2008, crashed, who lost their money? All the small investors and the retirement accounts, that's who lost, and the guys at the top didn't lose anything. And nobody had to pay anything back either. And they keep trying to take these massive funds. I think the worst thing that happened to Social Security was Johnson making it available to the general fund to fund the Vietnam War. And, of course, once they realized how much money was sitting there, even if it was just on a credit sheet, they couldn't keep their hands off it. And they exploit that fund constantly, that revenue source. And But... I I don't know, John, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to tell people because they they don't want to listen. They absolutely do not want to listen. If you don't tell them what they want to hear, they don't want to listen. And, of course, the old, it's fake news, conspiracy. I'm so tired of that stuff. Get something new, will you? And um, anything they don't want to believe. But I've always contended that the reason people become uh, arbitrary like that is because if you you have no education, you don't know anything, you can stand your ground and say, that's not true, that's not true. According to what I know, that's not true. I don't know anything. I make sure I don't know anything. And it's like when I write, I always document resource to the original documents what I'm talking about. This is when people become angry because it's one thing 
to become arbitrary if you don't know anything and you intentionally don't know anything. But when the evidence is laid in front of you, not only do you have knowledge you didn't want, but now you're required. There's a, a, a human requirement that you stand up and respond. You stand up and do something. And that makes them angry because they don't want to do that. This recent mess with this COVID and this stimulus and all of that, people said, well, I got $1,200. I said, you know why they gave you that? They gave the bank trillions, and you're sitting here talking about $1,200? How long is that going to last? What are you going to do when it's gone? And the bank's got trillion, trillions, and you got 1200 Well, Well, what? I said, do you realize what that was? It was hush money. That was to keep you from coming out in the streets and protesting and, and having an uprising. That's all that was. It was to keep you pacified while you sat and waited for your $1,200 to roll in. You can't make people understand. And people say to me, oh, I can't save any money. I don't, I don't, have a, an, I don't make enough to save any money. It, pare down your budget. In fact, form a budget. That'll help. And see how you come out on that. I, I don't know what we're going to do. And I think what happens to people, John, is, and I have difficulty with it myself, I have a hard, imagine, a hard time imagining not having paper currency, whether it's lawful money or it isn't. Um, not having that, we're tied to that psychologically. We're tied to that. So when you talk about keeping gold or silver, or whatever, um, people disconnect because how can you how can you trade in that? Uh, their minds won't let them accept that there is an alternative. So when we're sitting here talking about all of this stuff, a lot of things, I learned so much just listening to you, just listening that I didn't know. And I do love history, real history. Um, I hated that stuff we were taught in school. It was just so boring. And, uh, and I, you know, I've talked about, too, like when I came out of high school, my whole sense of who I was and where I was at was that I was fortunate to have been born into this noble, wonderful country that you know just wanted to help everybody that always did the right thing it was delusional or deluded whatever and all these years later to look at it and think my god is this what we are is this what we are and is this what we have always been we wage wars for no reason wars are always fought for land and assets we aren't going to give anybody freedom. We've given nobody freedom. We don't even have freedom. And I still, you know, like George Bush, I I can't get a, it, that image out of my mind of him standing up and saying, like about the Iraqis, they hate us for our freedoms. And immediately thinking, no, you hate us for our free, freedoms. Here we were attacking a country that did nothing to us, and we've tracked several more since then. I I don't know. It, it, how do we win people over, John? How do we win? How do we get them to think? How do we get them to accept what real history is, what's really happening, the condition they're in, what they're about to face as bad as things are now? It's going to get much worse, much, much worse. So the only thing we can do is do these shows, put the information out there, and hope that somebody pays attention. 
because I think with what I see coming for us, the devastation, not only economically, but in our personal lives, there's not going to be a whole lot of us that are going to survive this. And I do mean that physically survive. I think a lot of people and a lot of people already have uh, the suicide rates are through the roof. People have become so hopeless and uh, I'd prefer not to do that. I'd rather stand up and fight. And I believe that saying uh, I'd rather go out fighting on my feet than begging on my knees. I truly live by that. But um, we're going to do again. And I would like to do a show here in the near future. We're only going to do, I think, one more before we break for the end of year. But I would like to do a show explaining this Bitcoin and all these cryptocurrencies, what this actually is, how it actually works, if it works at all, and what you see in the future for this. Uh, I was tracking also Homeland Security, handing out $25,000 awards to various banks and universities that had developed digital wallets um, because they are planning on taking hard money away from us. Um, so that absolutely you can do nothing they don't know about. And, of course, if they get upset with you, they'll just simply shut you down. So welcome to and China. Why, why but, uh, while you're on that quick subject, let me add one other thing, folks. One thing they can do, so you've got a whole bunch of dollar bills stuffed in a wallet somewhere hiding, not in a bank. Tomorrow they can say you must turn in your dollars. We will replace it with a new version which means your old version is now worthless. That's what they did with the current, um, the uh, certificates that were floating around. They just made them, turned them in. You couldn't turn in a silver certificate for silver. Um, they just treated it just, just being a $1 bill after that. This was uh, They took away the silver in 1965. And long story short, um, if you went in to trade it in, you had a very short window, like about a year, and they gave you a small little baggie of silver. It was not the honking piece of silver dollar, Morgan or Peace dollar that that used to represent, okay? Um, Slavery is an issue, ladies and gentlemen. You are a slave. You were born a slave. You are a slave now. You are going to die a slave until you stop thinking like a slave. Gold is the banker's money. Silver is the people's money. And debt is the slave's money. Hint, hint. Stock market, again, you don't own stocks. You are called a beneficiary. You are not an owner of anything. And uh, again... Look back at uh, Madeleine Albright and her comment about 500,000 Iraqi children died because of the embargo that we did, and she laughed and thought it was funny. Where is your heart, ladies oh, wow. and gentlemen? Where is mm-hmm. your heart? You people mm-hmm. better wake up. In this up. fine Christian nation. We've got about 16 seconds left here. I want to remind everybody these shows are brought to you in coordination with Marcel Reed. And the Whistleblower Summit, an annual event in Washington, D.C., and we will be back next Monday night. We'll talk to you all then. Thank you for tuning in, and good night. Good night, world.